Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast, brought to you by Spartan Forge. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fall is upon us, and there's no better way to get fueled up before hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Coffee legitimately tastes better after a day in the woods or after a successful hunt. Fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription, Black Rifle Coffee. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. Our friends over at Half Rack just released some awesome gear and they were great enough to give our listeners 10% off their order. All you have to do is click on the link in the podcast bio or the link on our link tree on Instagram and that will give you your percentage off at checkout. So get some of the highest quality hunting and outdoor accessories that will help you prosper in the field. Half Rack is aiming to be mindful of the past, conservation conscious and evolve into the future. Forged in combat and tailored for hunters, Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly innovative and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can now take Spartan Forge with you wherever you go by downloading the mobile app. Enjoy deer prediction analysis, weather forecasts, historical data, detailed journaling, as well as crisp maps. It's time for you to make the most of your season and let Spartan Forge do that for you. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20%. Check it out over at spartanforge.ai. 
What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We are on episode 117, and on today's episode, Dimitri and I, we were joined by Brandon Miller of the Everyday Outdoorsman. Brandon was on the show this past fall where he shared his successful 2021 PA buck story. However, in this episode, Brandon shares his reflection on his overall season where he hunts in PA, Maryland. We dove into six topics ranging from waiting for the right opportunity, gear, specific hunting strategies, and more. This one is packed with some great stories and learning information for any hunter, new and old. Enjoy Brandon's big takeaways and see you on the next week's episode. Enjoy. Antler up. Yeah. Nope, not a problem. <laughs> <sighs> I, Dimitri came in and I told him, I'm like, man, I forgot how these nights are when baseball's in full swing and I get home <laughs> at 7 o'clock and I quick eat and then get everything settled in and here we are, man. Yep, 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 totally get it. Hey, Perfect. man, what's going on? Not a whole lot, just uh, chilling down here in the man cave. Nice, I like it. Well, uh, repeater. Brandon Miller is on and I appreciate you coming on and I appreciate you being flexible with work and uh, finally got a date down and all kinds of stuff with my baseball schedule and just work and everything. And we're finally able to, to do it. So how did, uh, what, what kind of topics do we want to talk about, Brandon? We were saying wrap up your season and talk a little bit about your scouting, what, what you have going on. We have some kind of plus two. I know with the out of state PA, you know, obviously non PA, but the out of state, area that you hunt for whitetail in Maryland and other local kind of revolving surrounding States. We could dive into that as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's endless, uh, there's endless (laughs) topics in in the hunting world. Um, I thought to maybe touch on a couple of tips that I kind of learned throughout the wrap up of my season. Sweet. Um, I did a video on our channel, the everyday outdoorsman. And uh, if some of the viewers had seen it. Uh, it's great. If not, we can kind of go through some of those tips that, that I, uh, narrowed down after I was reviewing my own season, what I learned and, and the things that I'll take into next year and the things that maybe I will forget about and just not do. It didn't work. Yeah. Awesome. Well, where do you want to start then? Let's dive into that. Yeah. Why don't we start with that then, Brandon? That that sounds good. That sounds intriguing to me. I'm like, I'm anxious, man. I like it. Yeah. Did you happen to watch that video? I actually, I have not yet seen that one. So okay. well, I'm actually, I'm actually, I, I'm behind dude. with when baseball starts. I mean, you get it. I haven't, yeah, yeah. it's so funny because the, especially now, obviously here in central PA, like we play where we play is normally Harrisburg area. And some games already went on yesterday was our supposed to be our first game. But here in state college, it was, uh, the real feel was 34, which is, yeah, yeah we're not playing ball in that. <laughs> no, no. No. no, but yeah, so I'm actually a little bit behind. So when, when practices go late, I'm indoors from like seven to nine. So by the time I leave the, the school and get home, it's like nine 45 until I kind of decompress a little bit and lie in bed or whatever you have it. I'm, it's already too late. And then the weekend rolls around yeah. and that's when I'm trying to catch up on videos. So yeah, so I have Absolutely. yet to see that one, man. So let's, let's dive into it. Okay. Um, so I had, six things that I kind of learned this deer season. Uh, number one was don't be afraid to move. Um, there was one hunt in particular, and I, I shouldn't say one hunt, there was four hunts and 
the last one, the fourth hunt ended up being successful, but it was because of the things I learned on the previous three. And it was me being able to move around and learn where these specific deer were moving. I was in an area that I had basically found the first hunt. I kind of knew that there was some good deer in the, in the area just from preseason scouting, but had never actually hunted it. So I slipped in there on the first hunt for an evening sit, sat by an apple tree that I had found that day and ended up seeing a couple of deer. There's a, a small field, maybe 20 yards wide by 40 yards long. It's not real big, but it's kind of like a staging area um, that is about 20 to 30 yards off of a really big field where they feed. So they're kind of staying in this little pocket right before they go out to feed uh, at last light. And I sat in there and I wasn't close enough to that field to be able to shoot with the recurve. I did the first three hunts with the recurve and the last hunt with the compound, which ended up being the successful one. <laughs> and I sat there, um, I sat on the, it'll be on the right hand side of this little staging area, just due to the wind, saw a couple deer, saw a little spike and they were all out in that field, came back in there the following day sat on the opposite side because the wind had shifted and right before the end of shooting light I had a pretty nice eight point come out and ended up my thermals uh, were sucking down into that into that staging area and he, he caught me and and uh, was out of there and I went in there it was two days later I went back in for an evening hunt sat on the tip of the staging area so I'm like right on top of it and it was brutal getting in there I was crawling on my hands and and knees under brush um I was walking a creek bottom just overgrown with briars finally got into a tree it was about a six inch diameter tree with my climber it was it was not <laughs> ideal but it was the only tree well, in the and, area that I could and hunt. to preface this not only are you using a climber you are six four yeah, I'm 6'4". <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, keep so going. It's yeah, It makes it a lot, a lot more difficult. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I got up in that tree, and that night I saw deer under the apple tree that I was hunting the first night, and they were in that thick stuff that I had crawled through. So it was this kind of really heavy canopy that was only about four or five feet off the ground but the deer were just walking under it in a tunnel, but I couldn't punch through that, nor could I see what they were. I could just kind of catch glimpses of them moving through, and I could hear them because they were only at 20 yards. Um, then the following day, I got back up in there for an evening hunt, and just something had switched, I guess. Deer were in that area, and they were out in that staging area. I think I saw maybe four to six deer that night, and it was kind of an interesting hunt. The deer were out in that staging area, but they knew something was, was a little bit off, uh, and I figured it out later. The GoPro light, the red light, I forgot to turn it off, and that's what they were staring at. Uh, it was my second angle, and it was above my head, and this red light just kept blinking consistently, and they picked that right off. And um, they still milled around out there at about 30 to 40 yards, but definitely weary. And they ended up getting on the trail that was heading out to the field, and at 35 yards, I I, uh, I stopped her and uh, just got a double lung, and she went 50 yards-ish and piled up. I heard her crash. So me being able to move around on that hunt and just kind of learn how those deer were accessing that staging area was crucial. Um, those hunts leading up to it weren't successful, but it ended up resulting in a successful hunt. Right. And for me, I don't necessarily like hunting the same trees 
even if I am successful, I just like learning new areas and learning where these deer move. Um, that those, the last two hunts, I ended up hunting the same tree because I knew those deer, where those deer were coming out of. And I just had a really good feeling that I could kill one and uh, it ended up working out. Well, and I think that's the importance of being mobile, right? And even Mm -hmm. if you're just moving, you know, 20, 40, 50 yards where, you know, you're going to play the wind and it might Mm -hmm. be different. It might be the same, but just, you know, the deer are going to pick you off if you're, you're in that Mm -hmm. same tree, whether you have a, you know, a hang on or a ladder stand where you're consistently going to the same spot. So I think, like you said, Mm -hmm. just that, that little bit of movement and not being in the same uh tree or same area you know they might be alerted they might be a little more cautious Mm -hmm. but they're probably not going to you know pick you off as fast so i think you know just being mobile and you know whether you're in a climber or your sticks or whatever Mm -hmm. or saddle you can you can kind of game plan that that little area if you know especially if they're in there Exactly. Now the only downside of kind of doing that in such a small area, I mean, I was, I was bouncing around 20 yards this way, 20 yards that way. You're spreading a lot of scent in there, but this, this location, there's a lot of people that are accessing this hunters, hikers, bikers, horseback riders. So there's a lot of scent. So that might not necessarily work in PA um, where you have some of these, especially in like the big woods. Um, but I feel like if you're bouncing around up in the big woods, you're probably in 7,500 yards. Um, so your sense a little bit more spread out, but we're so condensed down in there in Maryland cause you're hunting little pockets of woods. Uh, your scent is more condensed, but they are used to more pressure down there. It's not easier to kill them, but they're just, they're not as keen or they're not as, uh, reactive to those scents what about on the same topic um different scenario but uh keeping this trend of don't be afraid to move right what what Mm -hmm. uh scenario or you know maybe it's the rut you know we hear about when should you get down and maybe move closer to those deer right you know we've talked about Mm -hmm. it on here is you know if you see a deer traveling 100 yards away and it's you know whether it's mid-morning or midday or Mm -hmm. getting towards the afternoon you know you're always afraid to get down right and right you know you want to get down you're at the bottom of your tree and then here comes the deer running through right you know we always dread that right but we stay in the same (laughs) spot but then consistently we're seeing the deer just Just out of range range. you know they're not responding to any calls or you know anything else that you're doing you know Mm -hmm dive into some scenarios where you maybe something happened this year with you or, you know, on the same topic of when you would get down, make that move and get closer to that action. Yeah. And I think, I think the rut would be one of the biggest ones. Um, if you're seeing, uh, bucks, let's say two bucks, you see a buck, uh, traveling a trail a hundred yards below you. An hour later, you see another buck on that trail. It might be a good idea to move down to that trail because there might be a scent trail that they're following. Um, now, there's another story. I wasn't on this hunt, but Grant and a buddy of his were up late season flintlock hunting, and they were sitting in a stand over a turnip plot, and they had a bunch of deer continually going below them. So they actually got down, and within about five minutes of them moving, they had one on the ground just because they were moving to those deer and where those deer were moving. And it just, it just paid off. Um, another scenario this year in the rut, it was November 
second, and I'll get to this hunt because I have another tip uh, from this hunt, but I had bounced around all morning long. I was in my third tree by like 10 a.m., and I, had, I hadn't seen anything yet, and Grant was actually hunting in that general area. He had seen a couple uh, bucks in that area, and he had to leave, so I got down out of the tree and ended up going down there and killed one. And just being able to be mobile with my, with my climber, I can be set up in the tree in about 25 minutes with all the camera gear. So it's, I've narrowed it down and, and kind of really refined uh, my process of doing that so I can move quick. But I'll tell you what, there are some times where I get down or I'm thinking about getting down. It's like I cannot decide where I want to go or what I want to do. And it just kind of it's, – it's, it's a time ticker because you're just sitting there contemplating wasting time um, – where you could be somewhere else. Um, but that's, that's the learning curve and that's, that's the fun of it. You just never know what's going to happen where you're at or where you're moving to. Yeah. 100%. That's all I'm sitting here again. I'm like, I love this. <laughs> I, was, I was getting ready to, to, to mute both of, uh, well to mute me and Dimitri and just say, yell to him, like, man, I'm already loving this. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I agree because that's something that I, I feel like I did a better job with this year in particular uh, with moving and, and seeing sign and, and whether, like you said, you get set up in a fresh, you know, whether it be a scrape or a trail. Uh, but I have had a, whether it be just not the deer I was hoping for just wouldn't be that, that shot opportunity, but it did, it paid off a couple of times where I got in those shot opportunities. And, you know, again, noticing in an area like my late season doe was I know where those deer were moving. I knew where I needed to get into. And, uh, yep. I got in that general vicinity and I moved in there. I got in undetected, which was really critical. I mean, obviously that's, that's, uh, a no brainer, but for this specific spot, cause it's not very big. If you get in undetected, you're in a, you have a really good chance if they come that exactly. one way. And that's exactly what happened. And I was able to, uh, close the deal on one. So that's good stuff, Brandon. What, what, what's, uh, I like that. So don't be afraid to move for number one. What's number two. Number two is goes back to the, the previous podcast we did. Mm -hmm. This tip is you don't need the latest and greatest gear to be successful on a hunt. Um, this was the hunt where I killed a nice eight point with my recurve here in Lancaster County. Um, you guys know the story, but I climbed a tree with no gear. All I had was my recurve and myself. I climbed the tree and within about, it was 20 minutes later, I turned around and there was this nice buck uh, standing behind me at 10 yards. He had snuck in on me and I spun around and uh, got an arrow in him and he died within 40, 50 yards. But, on that hunt, I had no camera gear. I didn't have a stand. I was literally standing up there in muck boots, sweatpants, and a long sleeve t-shirt. And I'm standing in the crotch of a tree, 15 feet off the ground. And it was just kind of one of those hunts. You, you stand there in disbelief because you, you spend all this time, you spend all this money on this gear. And here you are in your, in your everyday clothes with a wooden bow and you happen to kill the biggest buck of your life. I, I just picked up, I just picked him up two weeks ago and had a chance to score him. He scored 113. Nice. That's my biggest buck to date and uh, just an unbelievable story. So you don't need the latest and greatest to have success. And I think that's important for a lot of new under new hunters to understand that 100%. just because, you know, if you're, you're coming in into hunting and, you know, you're not quite sure where to start and, you know, 
all that gear, I mean, what even if you're not buying the latest and greatest, you know, you think about your your if you're getting into archery, your bow, your arrows, you know, your setup, if you need camo, uh, you know, if you don't have anything to begin with, I mean, that's a pretty big expense, right? You, you're trying yeah. to get a tree stand and, you know, um, binoculars, range yeah. finder. I mean, even mm. if it's, you know, cheaper stuff, that still adds up, right? Oh, and yeah, I, that's I, thousands of dollars. Yeah, so I think even if you just get, get the necessities, right, your bow mm-hmm. and your arrows and, your release and then you know i mean you don't even need a rangefinder right if you get out there and and you know just sit on the ground right you know mm-hmm. find some brush your first yep. year you can just kind of you're out there you're learning you're seeing you know looking for deer movement how they're moving don't just think mm-hmm. you have to do everything what whitetail hunters are doing right and just you know yeah. do it all in one year exactly. uh, i mean yeah. uh, make it easy on yourself you can still mm-hmm. learn you could still have a success you know I, I think whitetail hunters are kind of the madonnas of the hunting world <laughs> just because you know we have to have all this stuff yeah. right you know we baby right. our bow more than western hunters because if if you're out western hunting you do just have your bow i mean you don't even really need much camo i mean you can still right. you know go out hike do stock you know it's a little simpler you know there's still a lot of gear that you can buy it for western hunting too but i mean with the whitetail woods holy cow you could go crazy <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah with some of that and i think new hunters get overwhelmed uh with all of the gear and the aspect of what you have to do to, to be successful and then mm-hmm. it just kind of maybe scares a lot of people yeah yeah absolutely and and a hunt like that i mean i'll probably never have a hunt like that again um but yeah, just the, the bare necessities, um, early season, you can go out there and step off your ranges in the woods at your tree stand and hang a little piece of orange tape at 20 yards, 25 yards, whatever you feel comfortable. And now when you get up in that tree, you kind of learn, okay, that's what 20 yards looks like. That's what 25 yards look like. And you kind of get that that uh, depth perception and you learn that there's a, there's a spot you can save and maybe you don't need a range finder. And I think doing that, you can maybe even uh, learn to limit your shots and know your, your limits. So you're not trying to push a 40, 50, 60 yard shot when you shouldn't. Um, So yeah, I think, and another big thing that we try to do on our YouTube channel is we're called the everyday outdoorsman for a reason. We want to, speak to the everyday outdoors and whether that's the new hunter or the experienced hunter, we don't buy the latest bows every year. We don't buy the latest gear. Yeah. We have uh, decent gear, but we're not upgrading every year. I, I mean, I shot a 25 year old bow for three or four years and was able to kill multiple deer with it. It works. It, and it was, I think I gave it away for free when I was done with it because it really wasn't worth anything. It still worked but we don't need this. We don't need 400 feet per second bows. I mean, I was, we were killing them with 200 foot per foot per second bows and killed with a recurve. That's probably under 200. So there's just, there's so many things you can save money on and that you don't necessarily need. Everything helps, but you can kill deer with, with the minimum really. Right. I like that. I think too, it's especially, it could really play, a role in today's society, you know, not, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not talking political. I mean, it's going around that, that, that route, but I'm not getting into it. It's just, mm-hmm. that's the world that we're living in right now. And if yep. people 
yeah, it's, I mean, at this point, man, the last six, seven years at, I mean, heck the last decade, it, mm-hmm. it comes like, it's, I'm talking bows specifically, man, these things mm-hmm. they are all fast. They're all super efficient to, to kill a whitetail. Mm, right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? It just comes down to your personal preference of what you want to leave the lot in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like we lost the, the genuineness of hunting and the camaraderie. Like now it's a competition. How yeah. far did I go? How far in did I buck? Like everyone sees what everyone else is killing on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. It's like, we want the latest and greatest gear. We want to kill the biggest buck and we want to kill it the deepest in on public land. And when we do that, we're going to tell the world about it. And then the next guy comes along and he did it better than you. So now you want to go back out there and do it better than he did. I mean, we're losing that, the mentality of going out there, enjoying God's creation and just having fun with it. And I think that's, that's a major problem. It is. It really, really is. And I, that's the one aspect that I, I don't know, maybe I I know I've scaled back as far as like the Instagram posting goes and, uh, like one, I mean, it's just, I want to, if I post, I want it to be about our our show every Wednesday. And Mm -hmm. I mean, if we have something meaningful to show or demonstrate like whatever, then that's great. If, Mm -hmm. if not, I don't, I'm not going to post just the post. Um, right. You know what I mean? And, but I do. And I think, the one fortunate thing, a lot of more people are coming aware of that, I think, and, and seeing that. Like people, like I'll post, uh, like I wanted to just see, I, I did a trial thing here, Brandon. Uh, let me know if, what you guys are noticing on, on your, you know, pages, uh, like side of things. Like mm-hmm. Instagram right now is kind of going towards like TikTok. You got to have these reels and like, yep. I don't have time for that. you know what I mean? Like any of those. And I was like, let me just try this. And like, I even noticed that I made one and all I, all I did was I I pulled a video that was on my phone from when we were out in Utah of just like walking. And I just put like letters to like, can't wait for this again. And it Mm -hmm. it got like a lot of views, but it didn't gain Mm -hmm. me anything or anything as far as, you know what I mean? I mean, Mm -hmm. I have no idea, but Hey, it is what it is. And I don't know. It's just, yep. it's just strange. I just want to go out there and build relationships and have fun and, and continue to do this and go from there. Yeah. It has to be, it has to be natural. You yep. can't force it. Um, whether we see the growth or not, we're having fun with it. And I hope you guys are doing the same thing. Like, like yeah, this is something that I want to show my kids down the, down the road and say, this is what we did. This is, uh, kind of who we were. And yep. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you want to do it, go yep. for it. If not, it's totally fine. So they're going to say, Hey, the way daddy's I famous. <laughs> they're going to say daddy's famous. Cause Nora's like, Hey, everybody knows you dad. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Oh man, it's going to be a sad day when she realizes. <laughs> oh, she's like, man, my dad's not that cool. Well, well, even going off of uh, the rangefinder and stepping off yardages, and, yeah. and what we did this year is, you know, we got it dove into a lot more three D shooting over the summer. One, just because it's fun, and two, you know, it's a, just a good way to practice. But what we started doing is, is especially maybe the second half of the shoot is we would just kind of estimate the yardage without using a range finder. And then we would all shoot. We wouldn't, we, we wouldn't tell each other, uh, you know, what we thought it was. We would just shoot 
and then, you know, see who had the best shot. And then we took our range finder to see what the yardage actually was, just to see how close mm-hmm. we were. And I think, you know, that's a great thing to learn yardages a little bit. You know, don't just do it mm-hmm. out in the woods while you're hunting, but, yeah. you know, practice that 3D, you know, if you want to maybe score the first half of knowing the yardage and, you know, going for the, mm-hmm. the, the 12 ring, great. But, you know, just guess some yardages and then you start getting familiar with that just because you know even if you have the best range finders on the market the most expensive well we've all had a uh time out in the stand where we didn't even have time to pull that thing out but we had a shot shot opportunity right right in front of us on a probably nice perfect well said exactly yeah exactly and also for me i i like to do a couple test runs before the season so like i'll climb a tree and shoot a half dozen arrows out of the tree just into a target, maybe have a buddy down on the ground, shift the target, move out of the way, and then I'll shoot an arrow at that target. Like It looks completely different when you're in a tree. 20 yards on the ground looks a lot further than it does up in the tree. Um, so just kind of learning those different, those different angles, those different yardages, and just seeing it from the vantage point that you're going to be in for most of the season is uh, – is really beneficial that I I've found that I do early in the season or before the season, like midsummer, uh, if I find the time to do it. So it's another yeah. kind of little tidbit that I yeah. try and do each year to build on that. The one aspect that helped me a couple of years ago when I was struggling there, uh, missing some deer up in the stand and stuff was mm-hmm. when I would practice shooting that 3d and making sure like, Hey, when I'm up there, it's kill shots. It's not where's mm-hmm. the, the 10 ring and all that type of stuff. Now that's where I really do like that. Uh, really you could get away with any of them, but that Glendale buck has that mm-hmm. bigger core where you could pepper that one little, like the, the pump house basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just that area. And that's where I liked, like you said, Brandon, moving it around a little bit and saying, okay, here's a hard quartering away. Here's a quartering two or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. And just when you go out there and pull your arrows, it's like, okay, this would be a long track job or whatever yeah. it'd be. You know what I mean? That's, that's an, again, I think a well-known tip, but it's just mm-hmm. use, if you, if you have only a block target, fine, use it. But if you have that opportunity to use a 3d target when you're practicing like that, it, mm-hmm. especially when it gets closer to the season, I think that could be really helpful. Yeah. And that, that just brought something else up that I thought of. I'm a little bit cheap and what I do early season is I take my block target because that's all I have. I sit it on a five-gallon bucket, and I draw a deer on a piece of cardboard. There you and go. And I thumbtack it to my target. Yeah. So I can get the the feeling of shooting at what looks like a deer because I find that I shoot so much better in the field and at a, tar- at a deer's target than I do at just a block target any day of the week. Um, and, I mean, it's cheap, but it works. Heck, yeah. That's awesome. All right, man. We're, we're hammering these, dude. These are great. Three. <laughs> yeah, so the next one is wait for the right opportunity. And this is the hunt where I had moved around three, three times by 10 a.m. Um, it was November 2nd, and I had sat most of the morning not seeing a deer, and I switched spots the third time, and it was raining. And I got into this tree. And as I'm climbing the tree, I had this little seven-point buck come in. It was a decent little buck, probably a year-and-a-half-year-old. And my bow is still on the ground. And so I knew that these deer were kind of running. He was he was at 15 yards. 
and I had a feeling that they were going to be running this little, this little ridge. Um, and about maybe an hour later, I had two fawns come through. They, they fed around me, man, probably for 30 minutes. And I was hunting a strip of woods. There's a Creek in the bottom. So it's kind of this, this little Valley and the woods kind of went up on the, on the bank of the Creek a little bit. And that's kind of where those deer were running on those banks. And it was a pinch point. And from one of the fields that I was hunting, I saw the buck coming across the field and he ended up coming right to me. And at six or seven yards, uh, quartering two slightly, he was about to turn and I shoved one through and went high in, got a double lung and my heart kind of sank at the at, when I first released the arrow because I felt like I didn't get any penetration. There was so much arrow sticking out. And um, for me, I, I preach about shooting ethical shots. And looking back, yes, I killed the deer and the deer died super quick. But if I would have waited maybe two or three seconds longer, that deer had no idea I was there. If I would have waited just a couple of seconds longer, that deer would have turned, gave me a perfect broadside shot at six yards, and I would have zipped right through double lung, complete pass through. Um, so waiting for that perfect opportunity, I didn't in that moment, and I should have. It ended up working out. Uh, the deer died in 50, 60 yards and piled up stone cold within seconds of hitting him. But... Um, and another thing was it was raining pretty hard that day. So if I didn't get a pass through and I didn't get that low exit, I would have had a real tough time following any blood because the blood would have had to come out the top of him, not the bottom. I had really good blood, but it was starting to really wash away. And that was probably only 30 minutes after I'd shot the deer. So waiting for those perfect opportunities. Um, now, you're never going to get the perfect opportunity every single time. But those are the deer that you need to learn. You need to let walk. If you, if you get a quartering two shot, for me, I'm not going to take that even with a heavy arrow setup or even with the confidence in my, in my, my weaponry. Um, I mean, I'll take that with a, with a gun, but not with a bow. I mean, there's ways to kill them. But, man, you're off by an inch. And in any direction, some of those frontal shots, you're, you're hitting solid bone and, and you're just, it's just a higher risk of wounding a deer. So in that situation, I'm, I made the wrong move. Um, it worked out, but I should have waited. When I, I even know that I struggled with a lot of waiting for the right opportunity myself, you know, early on in archery and till probably the last year or two, I've really been able to settle down my shot process in the stand and not so much that I was taking shots that I shouldn't have, but rushing the shot. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, feeling that, you know, you got to draw back anchor and let one fly because he's going to be out of there. Right. And uh, you know, mm -hmm. we, we all hunt thicker stuff and you know, you, you, you feel limited of the time that you have to make that shot. Right. But the problem I was running into is I was missing all the time, <laughs> you know, cause yeah. I was, you know, anchoring as soon as that pin was on the deer, I felt like I had to shoot and I just felt mm -hmm. anxious and then I was letting it rip and then it was all over and it was right over his back or right underneath mm -hmm. of him. And, you know, all that you feel like all that time you spent and all the energy and the practice, and then you finally get in the moment and then it just like right in front of you and you 
completely with it, right? <laughs> and I think yeah. even just like whether it's the situation you said or my situation, if you would just take your time and wait for that right opportunity, you're going to slow that process down, right? And you're not going right. to rush the shot. You're not going to punch the trigger. And, mm. you know, I think too is is – you always have more time than you think to shoot, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's not always the case. That's not 100%, but you do have more time than you think to anchor, sell that pin. In the last two years, I would say that I've really gotten a lot better at that. And, that, you know, mm -hmm. and I feel I can see the results, right? Yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, I feel more comfortable and I'm just, you know, I'm like, this is my moment. You got to seize it. Mm -hmm. You might as well take your the couple extra seconds to make sure you're doing things right. And if you, you know, if that deer kind of goes out of frame or, you know, goes behind a tree, well, you know, that's probably for the best, right? And then that's like you said, you got to kind of eat that shot and then move on to your next opportunity. Right. Yeah. And for us hunters, I think a big thing is we've gotten into that competition mindset. We have to be okay if a buck slips us. Like if, if that buck doesn't present itself and we made the ethical choice to not force a shot or rush a shot and that deer got away, we have to be okay with that. We owe the, we owe respect to that animal for, for not taking a risky shot. Um, a big thing that, that I still think about a hunt that I still think about was a hunt in Maryland three years ago where, the day before I had hit a deer, hit a buck and I couldn't find him. And it just, it really rattled me. It was only the second deer that I'd ever hit and not found. And it just, it sank to my core. And I went back in there the following day and I had, uh, it would have been, it would have been bigger than the buck I shot this year. He, he came down and stood in front of me at 32 yards for over it was at least over two minutes, if not longer, just perfectly broadside, just, just absolutely asking for it. I never even drew my bow. It, it was just this confidence thing. I, I didn't have it. I didn't feel comfortable. I was shooting an older style bow and I had told myself that 30 yards was my max. That deer was just over 32 yards or just over 30 yards at 32 and just didn't feel comfortable. And if I would have tried to risk it with low confidence, I could have very easily wounded a very, very mature deer. And I ended up seeing him again this year, three years, or it would be two seasons later. And he's an absolute stud. And I'm glad I didn't shoot him. I had him, I had almost got him. I had him at seven yards and I snuck up to him at seven yards, bedded in an open field. And he, he caught my wind and was out of there before I could get a shot. But uh, just being able to kind of see him again was pretty cool. And get in on that hunt. That's a, I mean, that's just an experience. I, I mean, I didn't fill a buck tag this year and I had a lot of great, it was slow at first, but I had the, some of the encounters that I did end up having were worth the learning experiences that I did have. And, yeah. uh, and I, I'll, I'll take that. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. I mean, the buck that I was after back at home, I haven't hopefully, you know, if willing, I don't have a, another chance at him. And if he continues mm -hmm. to get bigger, I mean, I'm hopefully going to figure things out or my dad figure things out. I, I, I mean, I mm -hmm. don't know, but at the same time, it's, I learned a lot and I learned how a mature buck was moving through there and I, maybe I could apply that to other spots. So it's just, yeah. you know, it's a learning opportunity and, uh, yeah, ho ho hopefully 
kind of like you said though, Brandon, it's uh, that right opportunity. And heck, even I remember towards the late season, I had a, I don't even know if he was, I don't know if he was like a little six point or, or what, but just watching the mannerisms. I know he's a young mm. deer, but by that point in time, he's seen a lot, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, you know, uh, by this point in time of, of, of the season. And I was just watching him. He could tell where he was alert and how I would kind of position myself in the saddle and be out of, you know, view. And he knew kind of something maybe was up because of the wind of way it was blown, but then watch mm-hmm. him walk through and a spike where spike came through and the two of them were just like tussling a little bit, just, you know, mm-hmm. tickling. And it was just, it was just neat to see, you know what I mean? And like, okay, where are they moving from? And I, like I had my eyes because I remember texting you, Dimitri, I was, I was looking at a specific spot saying a deer is going to come from right there. You know, I'm looking around, looking around. And as I was fixated on that spot, I saw, I saw a flick and I'm like, hmm. okay, there's a deer that I, yeah. you know what I mean? It was just, it was a good moment. Like, again, I, I was, I don't know. That was a learning moment. I knew a deer was hmm. possibly going to be there and it, and I was lucky enough to say, yeah, okay. And then I just watched the way he maneuvered and, you know, no shot opportunity, but I, that's a learning experience where I would grab my bow and just position and just see mm-hmm. and, and just how, what movement could I get away with or not get away with? And, you know, again, just more experience and more opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we can't solely judge our success on what's hanging on our walls. There's so much more to that success and so many more hunts that were successful without killing a deer. Yeah. So we can't, we can't solely base our success on what's what deer are hanging on our walls. Yeah. I like to, to your hunt of shooting your buck this year, Dimitri, I always think of the learning experience that I learned from it by you just saying, okay, when I got boots on the ground and found that pinch point, I'm like a deer has to go through here. Like that's like now that that's like a, a something I put in the pocket in the toolbox. Like, okay, look at this, like dissect it a little bit better rather than saying I got to be in this area okay, why that area, what's in that area that could help you fill a tag? Is it a trail? Is it this? And is it a pinch point? Whatever it be, that's where, you know, I took from your, even your hunt. Yeah. And I think we talk about it all the time is how hard archery really is, right? (laughs) You know, I mean, when people tell stories and you hear podcasts and you're like, man, this, you know, why can't I do this? Right. You, you, talk about everything that has to be perfect right you know think about the hours of everyone that's an archery hunter practices right and you hone your skills then you got to find an area that has deer right you know you got to go out there and find a good area and find where the deer are how they're traveling then when the season comes around you got to pick what tree you want to be in you got to climb the tree then you got to hope that the deer even come near you that night right you got to play the wind and make sure the wind's not blowing towards them and then then you finally the deer coming in and then you got to hope that they're within your range right and then then you got to make the shot. Then you got to hope you recover the deer. I mean, there is just so much that goes <laughs> into it. And I, there's so much. I, and I think that that's where the pressure builds up, whether you're a new hunter or an old hunter, that you put all this time and effort in, that you you feel anxious that, you know, if you don't get something, you're not going to be successful. Or, you know, even if you're not worried about social media, you know, just the pressure on yourself that a lot of us put on mm. us. And, you know, that that is difficult. Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. All right. Number four, Brandon. Number four, changes in the weather are crucial. Um, 
I was on a two and a half day hunt up in Tioga at Grant's cabin and he had hunted this one area for it was like four or five days in a row. Hadn't seen a whole lot, seen a couple small bucks and I'd slipped in there and I ended up seeing a pretty nice deer. He was just out of range. Wouldn't be able to shoot him because I already had mine on the ground. Um, uh, side story, Grant actually found that deer's sheds. He made it through. He's a pretty nice deer. Nice. Um, so he'll he'll be a stud next year if he can survive. Um, but I had hunted there, and I saw that buck. And then the following day, which was a Saturday, and this was, I believe, the the last week of archery season. It was the last Saturday of archery. And it was raining in the morning, really hard rain. And I'm just after a doe. And I woke up real early, it was like four or five in the morning, and I'm like, I'm not hunting in this weather today. And I checked the forecast. It said eight o'clock, it's going to stop raining. So I got up and was in the tree by 7.30. When that rain stopped, the deer started to move. And as soon as it stopped, here comes this doe right beside me at 25 yards, not even that, maybe even 20 yards. And she stopped behind a little stick and I shifted my pin just front and went in a little bit high, uh, got lung, and also clipped the underside of her, her spine. So she dropped. But being able to hunt that, the changes in weather was just big because that buck that I saw the previous day, it had just stopped kind of raining and snowing. And sure enough, that deer came right out of the bedding. And he had maybe a doe and a small buck, if I can remember correct, uh, kind of milling around in that same area with him. And that was all right after that change in the weather. So those little, those little changes can be real big for deer activity. They've, especially if it's been snowing or raining all night long, those deer need to get up and go find food because they've been kind of laying low all night. Yeah, and I, I, I even noticed what I've been trying to do is – even if I'm driving home from work, right? We, we both of yeah. us kind of we we pass a lot of fields, and obviously it's private, so it's not nothing we can hunt. But you know, just seeing the deer along the road, and whether maybe they're out a little bit earlier than you know normal movement usually is, or you know, and I now I try to figure out why are they out there, right? You know, it, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll check the weather, right? Is there a front coming in, or you know? Did it rain? And then now that they're out afterwards and just figuring out, you know, you just almost got to think like a deer, right? And yeah. think mm-hmm. of why they're moving and, you know, the reason behind that. And that's going to just make you a better hunter. Absolutely. I like when I see that, like last night when I called you and I was like, dude, there was 30 deer in that one field. As soon as I got off the phone with you, my phone buzzed back at home with trail cam pictures again mm-hmm. and just... You know, I, it, it's just cool to see, like, at, this is the time deer are moving, whether it be in the field or in the big woods. <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? It's It don't matter that they're, they're moving. And, you know, obviously we're supposed to get that little snowstorm this morning and all that type of stuff. So it was, you know, it's just fascinating to see that. And shoot, the yep. the buck that you didn't recover, that's what we did. We got in there right at when, when the rain was ending and for that evening hunt. Now, again, that was kind of last light, but that was early in the season too. Yep. So... Now, Brandon, is there certain weather features that you're looking for? Like if you're limited on time and, you know, obviously cold fronts is kind of the the obvious one there. But, you know, anything other weather wise you're looking for when you might 
try to jump out of work early or, you know, go out there and, and beat feet and even sit on the last hour or two of light? Um, not necessarily. If I, if I get the opportunity, I don't really care what the weather's going to be. Um, so for me, if I can get out of work early or if I have a Saturday free, it really doesn't matter what the temperature is. I'm going to be hunting somewhere. Um, I do like those days where you, like we just talked about right after those rain or snow showers. And I also like days where you have that five to 15 mile an hour wind. It, it's enough to make those deer just move a little bit more. Um, they don't necessarily like moving when it's a, such a light wind because the wind tends to swirl more and those deer can smell a lot more. It's not necessarily that they don't want to move more, but they can smell a lot more because your, your wind is, uh, has a tendency to swirl. So those days where you have a stiff breeze, those days I really like because then I can really pinpoint where I need to be and how I need to get there based on that stiff wind and knowing where it's going to be uh, traveling. So I, I tend to like a little bit windier of days. Uh, we've hunted some days where it's, it's up to 35, 40 miles an hour. It's pretty nuts, but you know that's where, those, uh, where that wind's going to go. And if you can get on the backside of a hill on the leeward side, uh, you're going to see deer because those deer have to move at some point to get food. And they're going to try and get out of the wind. They hate it as much as we do. Um, but still knowing where your wind's going to go, uh, I tend to like that. Nice. What about on extremely windy days? Like, you know, obviously I, I can think of a few Saturdays we've had this year that, I mean, it was ripping, you know, <laughs> high winds. I mean, it was a Saturday. Like you said, if you're going to have the opportunity to be out, you're going to go out, right? Whether it's. Mm -hmm light wind, heavy wind, you know, how are you hunting those days? Are you getting down in the bottoms or are you staying on like the middle ridge or just over the ridge? You know, how do you set up on kind of in that situation? Well, first off, you got to pick a big tree. So you <laughs> kind of mitigate the risk of your tree falling over. And I tend to hunt middle to, to low, um, down there in Maryland, if it's super windy, it's tough because it's more rolling hills. It's it's tough to sometimes get out of that wind. But there's a couple spots that we hunt where you're off the top maybe 50 to 100 yards, and it's just enough. The top of your tree is really blowing, but 20 feet up in that tree, if you pick like an 18-inch diameter tree, you should be okay, and it's not going to, to sway a whole lot. Um, but we have tended to see those deer traveling midway on a on a side hill or in the bottoms on those really windy days. That's perfect. That's really good information, actually. I like that, Brandon. All right, man, we're, we're moving. Five. Five. This one is get off the beaten path. This was in rifle season this year. Uh, we had a little bit of snow, and this was the uh, – I forget – Frankly, I forget if it was the first or second day. doesn't matter. But I was hunting a spot that I've had success in in the past. And what it is is our camp is at the bottom of a big valley. And on one side, there is this ridge that goes all the way to the top. And it is a mile long. It is super long hike to get up there. And it's pretty steep. You have 
you go up real steep and then it flattens out into a bench and then goes really steep again. It just keeps kind of going like that for about a mile. And near the top, it gets that skinny that if you're standing in the middle of the ridge, you can see down both sides. And I'm about three quarters of the way up. And this is after light. I wanted to sneak through the snow um, so I could see. And about three quarters of the way up, I dropped into a big valley. And I've had success in this valley before. And I slipped in there and just started side hilling and ended up catching a deer's bed. And it had just snowed. It had snowed all night long. And it's just like we were talking about with the change in the weather. It had just let up. And there was no snow in the bed. And I knew that those deer had just gotten out of there. And I had a feeling I knew where, where they were going. So, and it is brutal in there. It is super steep. And there's shale and mountain laurel. And the shale was covered by snow, so you didn't really know where it was. And I was on my can multiple times going through this. Um, but I knew that that's where those deer were going, and I could track them because it was in that fresh two to three inches of snow. And I had walked about 100 yards, and sure enough, I spotted this, this doe 100 yards ahead of me, kind of on the belly of the ravine. And I, I'm looking around like there are no trees remotely close for me to prop on. And this deer is staring at me. So I just pulled up and flung one and I ended up clean missing that deer. And the deer kind of went up the hill a little bit and stopped again. So I ran to the next tree and I don't know what happened, but I ended up missing it again. And it ran up the hill about maybe 30 yards and I got to the next tree and really settled in, controlled my breath, and squeezed it off. And it, I, I, uh, I smoked her, and she died. Um, she, she just walked up the hill a little bit and folded up. So me being able to get off that beaten path and going back to the beginning of the morning, I'm walking up that ridge, and for some odd reason, there was a set of boot tracks going right up the ridge and right down the ridge. So someone either forgot something or realized they didn't want to hunt that day or whatever. But me dropping off into that side hill, getting into that thick stuff, getting into that uh, really steep cover that those deer were bedding in was helped me get that deer on the ground. Most people don't want to do that up there in those big hills. They want to stay on the ridges and kind of peek down over. And it was so thick, you wouldn't have been able to see that deer from the top, even with snow. So diving into that thick stuff, um, getting off that beaten path was, was really big in me getting that deer. Boy, for someone that doesn't care to be successful, you do kill a lot of deer. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I love it. That's great. Well, and I think you like you said, I mean, people now you hear about, hey, we, you have to be X miles in and uh, we had Greg uh, on not too long ago, and he talked about, man, some of those good spots by the parking lot are, are totally mm -hmm. overlooked. And uh, like you said, though, but if being that close or that far in, you just get off that path, right? It don't mm -hmm. matter where, how, or how deep it is. You just got to get off that beaten path. That's yep. And that's that key takeaway with that one. And I like that because, I mean, that's for those high pressured areas like that, or no matter where you're hunting, that's, mm -hmm. that, that's where you're going to, you know, find pockets and like, okay, if I'm a deer and I want to get away from people, where's that thickest, nastiest stuff? You got to go find that. And how, there's only yeah. one way to do that. And that's to get off that beaten path. 
Right. And it goes back to my, the first point where I was, or my first hunt that we described where I was bouncing around. I mean, that was so brutally thick in there. Most people are just hunting that field edge that those deer were coming from the staging area to that main field. Right. Those deer might not get there until five, 10 minutes after shooting light and you might not get an opportunity. So me being able to, I mean, just kind of push my way through and get all torn up by the briars yet. Yeah, it sucked, but it was worth it in the end. Yep. Just kind of getting off that trail again, beaten path, and it, it ended up being successful. And I've seen that time and time again, just two little things that are nuts to most people, but it pays off. Yeah. When I even think about a lot of the big bucks that you hear killed, they're not four or five miles in where someone <laughs> hiked back and got Jeez. as far away from people that they could be. You know, a lot of them, I mean, is just – kind of what we just laid out a little thicket off the road where you know that buck feels safe but he yep. can still monitor everyone that's walking into that piece <laughs> right and and Absolutely. i've been seeing that more and more these last few years and kind of mm. thinking about you know not hunting harder but being smarter right yeah. and i think yep. that's the way to kill big bucks yeah yep absolutely all right man we're down to that last one Number six. Last one. <laughs> Don't be afraid to be aggressive. Uh, this was a late season hunt I had in Maryland. And my brother-in-law and I, Cameron, Cameron who's my brother-in-law, we went down to Maryland and we were going to just push around most of the morning, just cut, see if we can bump deer to each other. And on our last drive, we went into an area that we had had success doing drives late season before. Now this particular day the wind is was the complete opposite that it normally was so we did the drive in reverse so basically what this is is it's a plot of woods and to the east up in the top corner there's a ravine small ravine that pinches up so it's kind of like this natural funnel to that corner of this block of timber and the deer bed on the western corner and below that eastern corner. So there's two main bedding areas. I'm coming up the east side. He's coming up the west side. And I just had this feeling that if I could get to that east side and set up quick, that when he comes through that bedding on the western side, they're going to pinch to that spot that I'd be at in the eastern corner. So I did that. I was hauling tail, getting up there, and I sat down, and within about 15 minutes, I saw him coming out of the bedding and they're about 80, 80 yards ahead of me on the other side of that little ravine. And they started paralleling the Creek that's in that ravine. And I knew that I was not going to have a shot where I was. So when that deer got out of uh, sight of me, I ended up getting on the walking trail that I was set up on and that trail paralleled the Creek. So what I did was I got on that trail and just started walking real, real quick because I knew that that deer was on a mission because my brother-in-law just bumped it. So it wanted to get out of there. So I was moving pretty quick and I went about 60 yards and I happened to look down and I knew that my trail and that deer's trail were going to pinch together at some point. So I'm on this trail and I look down and there is the doe staring at me, facing me, almost perfect, just a slight cool well uh, really hard quartering too but it was just off quarter and i knew i didn't have a shot so what i ended up doing was i drew my bow and just kept walking because these deer and i've seen it time and time again down there where 
these deer see these people hiking and they just stop and freeze and they walk or they, they watch the person walk by and then they go about their business. So I had this feeling that if I stopped and I was not ready to shoot, that that deer was going to bust. So I drew my bow, kept walking about 15 yards. And thankfully that trail had a little turn in it and it turned towards the deer. So I was able to get more of a broadside shot. It ended up being a slight quartering too. Um, but I got that more, uh, a better shot angle and I had a better opening. And when I stopped, I was already at full draw and I settled in and I shot. Um, I ended up hitting that deer a little bit back. Uh, I might've clipped a branch or my just, I just wasn't settled properly or didn't get a correct anchor. I hit it a little bit back. I clipped the femoral artery, artery, thankfully, and that deer died within seconds. It only went 30 yards, and I saw it crash. But me kind of understanding in the moment what was happening as it was happening and me getting up from my spot and kind of tracking that deer down and killing it was huge. If I would have remained passive and stayed where I was to begin with, I would have watched the deer just walk by because there was – there was about six to 10 deer in that group and they would have all walked at 70, 80 yards ahead of me. And I never would have had a shot, but being able to understand where those deer were moving and kind of having that past historical knowledge of where those deer kind of moved to, I was able to get a little bit more aggressive and, and move in for the kill. That's a fun story. Yeah. And I, I, I don't even think that's can go with just setting up for, for a normal hunt. Right. And, and mm-hmm. knowing how those deer move and, knowing year to year of of learning knowledge and and gaining that intel even if you're not successful right you you move around and you find those pinch points and you know you kind of learn where well maybe i saw those deer 80 yards to 100 100 uh away and didn't get an opportunity well you know maybe the season or maybe you know the next time you go in there you you move closer to where they were and then you kind of you see oh well now I kind of see a little bit more why why they're moving here, right? And you're kind of gaining that knowledge in that area, and then that's going to help you be more successful year after year. Yep. Absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. Oh, man. Those are great six points. Yeah. I'm fired up. Let's go. <laughs> let's go hunt. <laughs> yeah. Turkey season's right around. Yeah. Um, no man, that's that that's fantastic. Those are all really good points, and that kind of like you said, those are all six things that you learned from this past season. Mm-hmm. You know exactly. Yep. And there's many other things that I learned, and things that kind of led up to those successful hunts. I just right. kind of wanted to pick one thing that was helped me be successful on a hunt that I killed a deer. There's other hunts that were successful that I didn't kill a deer, but I just kind of thought of those six things as, as I was reviewing footage and kind of thinking back over the season. What, uh, you mentioned earlier, like some things that, you know, maybe that you won't do next year. What are, is there anything uh, along those lines? Um, it's more so locational. Um, there's just certain spots where I may have wasted a hunt, not, not necessarily wasted a hunt cause I learned not to go back there, but, um, certain certain locations just didn't seem to pan out um with i thought i had a good opportunity in some of these locations and just didn't work or um a spot where i thought i knew what the wind typically did in that area and the deer just busted me Uh, little things like that that just 
you just learn and kind of pick up as you go. Um, and there's, there's a lot of spots that I'm going to go back to. And, um, yeah, it's, I would say that it's more locational than anything. Let me ask you this, Brandon, just cause you know, you're from Pennsylvania, you do a lot of hunting, uh, obviously here and also in Maryland. When do you like give up on a spot? Not necessarily, like, I don't want to say give up, but when do you just say, Hey, it, it's just not panning out. It's not the, I'm not seeing the deer, even if it's just, like, I'm, I'm kind of going off of a, an area that you might have either good history with or a lot of history with, but it's just not panning out anymore. Like when do you just say, okay, I got to go find more spots. And when I find those spots that are panning out because there's more deer, there's more opportunities, just whatever the sign when, yeah. like, is there, I know that's kind of a hard question to answer, but like, what, what's your take on something along those lines, just because of all the public land that is, that we have available, uh, available to us here in PA. Yeah. And I think, I think my decision comes super quick. Um, just kind of like you said there, there's so much land in Pennsylvania and Maryland to hunt. So if I'm not seeing something in, in one or two hunts, I'm usually switching trees or getting out of that area. It doesn't take a whole lot for me. And even, even the buck that I killed my first archery buck ever was in Lancaster County here on public land. I've never been back to that spot. I just, I have no desire to go back to this spot because it's a heavily hunted area. I went into that spot blind, never been there before and happened to kill a nice eight point, but just seeing the pressure that's in there, I have no desire to go back. And I had success in there. Um, and there's other spots in Maryland where I haven't killed a deer, but I've seen a ton of deer. I'll continue to go back to that general area because I know the potential there. Yeah. I haven't been successful killing one, but I know what's in there. Right. Now talk about someone, you know, this time of year where, where people are thinking about what their fall is going to look like, right. You know, whether they're, you know, say a lot of us are thinking about going out of state or, you know, and a lot of us, especially us this year, thinking about doing a neighboring state hunt uh, this fall. And you hunt Maryland, which is the neighboring state. Talk mm -hmm. about how you would recommend someone, you know, go about from this now to figuring out where they want to go to scouting to, you know, how they're going to hunt that come in the fall. Absolutely. Um a big thing is e-scouting. Um, I'm actually planning on a hunt right now, going on an eight to 10 day mule deer hunt early season in Colorado. Never been to this area before. Neither is my buddy that I'm going with. So we're just pounding Onyx right now, just searching locations and just kind of fine tuning how we're going to hunt. So for me, I really uh, weigh heavy on Onyx or any other um, map uh, technology or map app that you can use, um, to just kind of locate, uh, some areas. And if you have the, the time and the availability, it's always good to go in some of these spots, uh, especially to a neighboring state that you live close to. If you can take an afternoon or an evening and get into some of these spots and just see the lay of the land, you can learn a lot from Onyx, but you can't learn everything. Um, I mean, there's some places that I hunt where I'm hunting a little contour or a little, uh, terrain feature that doesn't even show up on a map. 
So those are the little things that you can't see that you have to physically be there to understand and know how those deer are moving. And even a couple of weeks before the season or even a couple of days before the season, it's not a bad thing to go sit in open field uh, near where you're going to hunt if it's public and just glass, see where these deer are coming out and understand uh, how they're moving and use Onyx or use another um, app and just kind of start pinning those areas and those locations that those deer are moving. Um, I use Onyx all the time, hundreds if not thousands of waypoints and stuff. I share with all my buddies, Grant, Cam, we share tons of stuff constantly. And right now we're, we're just kind of wrapping up our shed season. Um, so another thing is you can get out there and, and shed hunt and also scout at the same time. We're learning where these deer are living late season and kind of where that food source is. is. And, and right now these deer are in the general areas where they're going to be in the fall. It makes it tough in the summertime because those deer have different patterns in the summertime come the fall they're going to shift back into that that area that they're in right now or, or relatively close unless you have a deer that's a complete roamer uh which we've seen a couple of times on some bucks but for the most part they're going to be in this core area and learning that right now is huge because they're not going to be in that uh, a whole lot longer they're going to make that summer shift soon so so let me give you a scenario and you tell me kind of what how you would game plan this right Mm -hmm. just because it's pretty similar to what i'm going to encounter this year so that's why i want to get your take on it but Mm -hmm. say you're going to a neighboring state for a whitetail rut uh hunt okay Mm -hmm. you're you're going to do e-scouting uh you're going to get probably only one day to actually make that trip out there to put boots on the ground an Mm -hmm. all day scouting trip. Uh, you may put some regular cameras, you might do one or two cell cameras, and then you're going to go out there for five or six day rut hunt in that Mm -hmm. area. What are you looking for, uh, on e-scouting wise when you're looking at the maps of the public land? And then what are you looking for, uh, specifically with that limited time that you're putting boots on the ground? Yeah, so the things I'd look for e-scouting, two things. If you can see an old clear cut on e-scouting, pin that. And if you can see the leeward side of a ridge or the leeward side of a hill, you're looking for that doe bedding. So when you find that doe bedding, then you go on the, I'll say the leeward side of the doe bedding then, and that's where those deer or those bucks are going to be cruising, scent checking those bedding areas. So that the leeward side, that wind is going to be blowing over the top down to the bedding and it's going to be shooting out the bottom of that bedding. And that's where those bucks are going to be cruising. You'll tend to see um, your rub lines and even some scrapes on the bottom edges or the leeward sides of those doe bedding areas because that's where they're tending to travel. And if you can get a pinch point on the lower end of doe bedding, that is, that is absolute money. And the, the bucks don't want to go into, let's say an old clear cut. Um, they're not going to go in there where you have these spindly trees every six inches away. You'll see a doe trail because they're a doe is like, 10 inches wide and you'll see where they can just maneuver through a big mature buck isn't going to do that he doesn't want to get his rack stuck and he can't physically do it because 
his rack's going to catch all those little saplings. So finding that doe bedding when you put boots on the ground and e-scouting is really beneficial to knowing where those those bucks are going to be traveling. And that's something that if you can, the earlier you find that, the better, because you don't want to do that a week before the season. You're going to bump those doe out of that bedding area and they might not come back and the bucks aren't going to be there cruising because uh, those does are gone. So if you can do that now, that is going to be uh, beneficial in the fact that you're not bumping deer. Even even if you did it in, let's say, late July or early August, that gives you plenty of time um, for the or gives those deer plenty of time to come back and readjust. But you don't want to be doing that that uh, that scouting right before the season. So those are a few things that I would look for: e scouting and putting boots on the ground. Dynamite. Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Good stuff, Brandon. Man. So how many deer did you end up piling up this year? I got six deer this year. Was last year seven? Uh, last year was eight. Eight. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm like, oh, I shot one. <laughs> <laughs> Whose show are we on, Brandon? <laughs> oh, man. No, dude, that's awesome. No, that's that's really great stuff. And, man, I... I, again, this is, we just aired a, an episode today, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is, today's the 30th with uh, Kyle Davidson from DCA Custom Arrows. And man, I felt like when we recorded that, I wrote down a ton of stuff and this mm-hmm. is the same one. This is just like the same <laughs> thing. I just, I just love, like, this is the time now where I love just hammering out in my notebooks and going back and kind of looking at mm-hmm. certain things and piecing things together Uh and this is this is a good one. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Is there anything else that you have? No, just tell I mean you you're doing the mule deer hunt and uh, mm-hmm. besides that is it just PA in Maryland again? Yep, that's the plan uh going to be heading out to Colorado um for opening day of archery which is the first week of September. I'll be there for 8 or 10 days and then we'll be pounding Maryland for about a month and then it'll be PA in Maryland till the end. Well, for for Maryland early season cuz they open up in the like first or second week of September as well. What kind of success uh have you guys had like in that September time frame? Like over the years. So this past year was a little bit more difficult. The food sources had changed uh last year. We had killed man, it might have been 4 or 5 in September alone. Uh, over one food source. It was a bean field. It was a private bean field that bordered public and it was super thick on the public and those deer were just funneling out. And we, we killed quite a few deer this year. It was corn and those deer were, were stuck in that cornfield. They weren't necessarily bedding in the public this year. Um, so we didn't see as much, uh, success early season. Um, it, it really depends on the year and, and kind of that food source. And if you can get on, on uh, some good trails and good good activity. We saw quite a few deer this year, early season, just couldn't quite uh, capitalize on some of those hunts. Yeah. That's what I, I mean. When we were out to Delaware, it, was, it again, you just don't realize how critical those early season food sources really are uh, and just where deer could just bed all dang day and then the last 10 minutes of light, they're like, get up and move. And it's like, wait, you were there that whole entire time, <laughs> yep, yep. you know, in that alfalfa <laughs> field or whatever. And it's just like, holy cow. Like it just, it just mm-hmm. like, for me, that was my first experience doing something early season whitetail like that. And I, mm-hmm. it just, like my, my mind just went, 
was like, yeah. this is tough. <laughs> it's just, it is, it was tough, but no, yeah. man, that's, that's fantastic. Um, what else, uh, anything new coming out like for you and, and the guys, are you trying anything new this upcoming season? I know you talked about like, you know, don't need to have the latest and greatest, but is there anything new that you're looking to try and, uh, all that type of stuff? Yeah. Um, I've actually been partnering with a couple of people and I'm actually going to be trying out a saddle this year. Heck yeah. Um, was in, in one up there at the sportsman show with you guys and, I'm interested to try it out. We're going to see, see what we can do and see if we like it. Um, not a whole lot new is going to, going to be uh, going on just kind of the same old, same old, just being us being natural, uh, trying to put out as much deer hunting content as possible, but, uh, we're looking forward to another successful year. Awesome, man. Now I, I know, I know it gets said a lot on either like videos, podcasts, anything like that, but and it would be cool to do something, even like to get Nate involved. Uh, Nate's opening up a, a shop here in, in where we live. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, heck, man, if, it'd be cool to to do something. I know even if it's not hunting related, like in the hunting mm-hmm. season, but man, it, it sure would be cool if we could all do something like, I mean, I know THP and they all get together and do that uh, whitetail challenge or whatever they do, mm-hmm. but just something like that where we could get like, some PA guys just together. Like, Hey, we're this, this weekend. What do you guys think? Let's go here. There's a crap ton of land. Let's just meet up. And you know what I mean? Just something neat, just where we could all just hang out and I don't know, get together and have fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm always down to meet other guys in the, in the hunting industry and other YouTubers. I've talked with Nate a bunch, uh, this, this past year. And, uh, yeah, just to get some of those other guys involved, like you guys and just other YouTubers would be would be awesome. I would thoroughly enjoy something yeah. like that. Yeah, because I know, like I said, I've we've we've built some cool, really neat relationships with just like normal everyday hunters, like no like nothing, mm-hmm. no ties to companies, and uh, like our 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 buddy uh, Troy Dietrich. So he runs a little spot like in your area uh, with the Dietrichs Outfitters and stuff, and. Um, Troy hasn't been very active on, on social media as a re I got to give him a call. Um, but he, uh, like he even proposed something like that. Like, dude, let's all just get together and it just be, uh, you know what I mean? It just kind of springs that like, man, if you could make it, that'd be great. If not, you know, no big deal. If there's another time we could get together just to, like you said, support each other, go out, have fun and, and hunt. And I don't know. I just think that would be really, really neat. Yeah. That would be awesome. That's that's what the hunting industry needs. Yeah, yeah, and just man, push each other like that. I don't know. Like it'd be <laughs> yeah. cool. Like just to hey, we're going here, and uh, you know, I don't know. Like heck, it would be. It would just be fun to mix and match and just have fun with that. I just I don't know. We got to think of something, Brandon. That could that could be something pretty neat. Yeah, absolutely. I'm totally game. Awesome, man. Well, dude, I I. Again, I thank you so much for one having the patience to continue to figure out a, a work week that it would work for you for this and uh, everything like that, man. It's I love talking to you. It's really really fun. It's just neat and uh, really bring really neat perspectives to everything. So appreciate that, man. So tell everybody again where they can find you and follow along with with the whole crew and everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Um, 
So, yeah, we're at the Everyday Outdoorsman on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We try and post as much content as possible. Maybe this time of year, one or two videos a month come hunting season. It'll be hopefully one or two videos a week. So that's where you can find us. Don't hesitate to reach out. We're always open and willing to discuss hunting or anything else that that comes up. Uh, We're pretty receptive and, and pretty responsive. So don't hesitate to reach out and check us out. Awesome, man. Well, thank you again, everybody. Until next time, Antler Up. That's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Thank you again so much for tuning in this week. Thank you again, Brandon, for coming on and sharing all those takeaways with us. Definitely check out antlerupoutdoors.com. Check us out over on Instagram, Facebook, Go Wild. And uh, where else am I missing? Instagram, YouTube. There it is. So enjoy this uh, episode. I hope you... uh, Check us out again next week. Have a good week. Antler up.